You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. Okay. Praise the Lord. I know you all need to head over to your mom's house for lunch. So I'm going to try to keep this relatively quick. Hopefully you're cooking for your mom. Don't make your mom cook today. Either cook for her or take her out to lunch. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Everybody doing okay? Good. Uh, Amy and I, this, this morning I'm, I'm, I'm talking on my favorite subject, which is the grace of God, and I'm going to preach out of 2 Corinthians 12 this morning, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. And the message is called God's power or power perfected in weakness. So, but it's God's power that's being perfected in weakness. And the reason why I chose this topic today is because over the last few weeks, I've found myself in a relative season of weakness. And um, so, you know, when you need something, you preach to yourself. That's just the way it goes. So a couple weeks ago, Amy and I had a wonderful time. We flew to Utah and we spent seven days hiking all over Utah. And we just had the most incredible time. Um, if you've never done that, you need to do it. It's, it's like a once in a lifetime place. I, I didn't realize this, but Utah is kind of the best place on earth, at least in the United States. Like there's so much to see in the state of Utah. Um, it's a, it's a little oppressed there. Cause like, um, you know, I mean, nothing against Mormons, but they're running everything. And you know, it's, it's like, everything's pretty, it's like the Stepford wives, you know, everything is nice and neat and everybody looks perfect and everything, but you know, it's, it's clean and it's safe, but the, the state parks or the national parks are really the thing that you want to go to see. It's really great. But on the, on the last day that we were there, I mean, we just had this most wonderful time and we're just thinking, man, life is good. Everything's great. And on our final night, we're standing on the shore of the Great Salt Lake and we're watching the sun go down in, into the mountains. And my phone rings and my stepdad calls me and he tells me my granddad has passed away. And it was, uh, it was you know, he was 91. I think that's too young to die personally. <laughs> But um, it, he lived a, a really long, good life, but it was still shocking to me. And it, it, it was a little bit, I, I, I just was laughing to myself. I was like, man, isn't that the case? Every silver lining has a cloud, you know? It's just the way it goes, you know? So uh, from there, Amy and I actually parted ways, and she flew back to North Carolina to be with the kids. And I flew out to California to console my mom and... I was just there for 36 hours before I had to catch a plane back. And, um, but, but as I'm doing all this, I'm, I just feel like I didn't cry and I, I, I probably should have. I probably will eventually, but I just felt like consumed by weakness. Anybody ever been there before? Do you know what I'm talking about? It was like you just got nothing within you to be able to do anything with, you know, to be able to live your life with. So, um, so, so last week, um, I was in the front row and Casey and Julie were leading worship and 
I, I felt like I was really discerning the Lord speak to me. And um, I was asking the Lord a lot of questions. And I felt like the Lord said these two things to me. He's like, well, I mean, because really one of the questions that I have for myself is, how can I live a healthy, sustainable life with Jesus for the next 50 years? How can I do, how can I do something healthy, healthy and, and sustainably? Because when I was 18 or 19 or 20, I was jumping up in the front of the church with the, with the worship band, you know, I was very zealous. I had a lot of energy. It's really great to do when you're young, but when you start into the second half of your life, you got to kind of like shift gears and you got to come up with another strategy for yourself. You know, you can't, you can't measure your spiritual life by wh- wh- how high you're jumping in church anymore. You know, you can only do that for so long, then your back gives out and you have to come up with another strategy, right? So I felt like the Lord said this to me. He said, Andy, there's two ways to have a sustainable life. You, you be a servant to all and you live a life full of grace. He's like service and grace. Those are the two things that he said to me. And it was very helpful. It was very comforting because I thought, man, this is great news. You don't have to be somebody to be a servant. You don't have to be special to serve people. You don't have to be extraordinary to serve people. And if you're walking in grace Man, you just have so much strength to do a lot of things that you wouldn't have otherwise. So we're going to kind of, that's why we're doing this today. So um, and, and, and thinking through this, thinking about the word grace even, I, I came up with these two things that I realized. That I was, I was, I was wondering, how does God change the world? How does God change the world? Does he do it by control? Does he do it by coercion? Does he do it by hype? No, God changes the world by grace. God is working on people. He's working in the world gracefully with grace. And the thing about grace is that grace moves slowly. Grace has a slow speed associated with it. It's not always slow. There's sometimes these bursts of acceleration where you you see major change right away. But over the long haul, grace moves relatively slowly, okay? So, and here's another thing about grace. grace. The grace of God is actually the energy or it's the power, you could say, that people need to live. You can try to live your life without the grace of God or outside of the grace of God, but it's not as good as when you're flowing with the grace of God in your life. All right? So, I mean, how many of you need more energy in your life? Yeah, yeah, all right. More power. We all, I got this little meme I want to show you. This just cracked me up. We got that slide. Adulthood is saying, but after... But after this week, things will slow down a bit over and over until you die. <laughs> Me and Amy, we literally say that, man. Oh, man, next week's going to be great because we don't have anything on our schedule. And then, you know, we find out that it's definitely full. Okay, so if you have your Bible, if you have your iPhone, if you've got your iPhone, you can open it up into the NIV, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Here's what's going on in this chapter. Paul is talking about himself. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he describes 
how amazing his spiritual experiences have been. And he actually says, I, I once knew a guy who 14 years ago had a revelation of God that was so amazing that actually there's no words to find to describe what he saw and heard when he went into this place known as the third heaven. All right. Paul had an encounter with God that, man, it just revolutionized his whole life. Um, and then he, he goes on to say some strange things. He says, my revelation was so profound. My revelation was so profound that God, in order to save me from my pride and conceit, sent a, a thorn of the flesh, a messenger of Satan. A messenger of Satan was sent to me to curb me of my pride. That's interesting, isn't it? You might not think that the Lord would allow you to be influenced by satanic messengers, but 2 Corinthians 12 says otherwise. You can see it in the Gospels too. After Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River, it says the Holy Spirit descended upon him. He's filled with the Spirit, and he's, where is he led? He's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So very interesting stuff. I mean, so let's read this. This is what happens. I'm going to start in verse 7. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. I delight in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We've talked about this before. A lot of people actually misquote that last part. They say, and when I am weak, then he is strong. That's not what Paul says. He says, when I embrace weakness in my life, that is when I am actually strong. All right? <clears throat> so the apostle Paul is explicitly telling us in this passage that it is okay when we find that we do not have what we need. Why? Because the grace of God is enough for us. Have you been in your life or come to a point in your life where you're like, I don't have what I need. Been there before, right? We've all been there. The, the way that the Bible interprets those types of situations is that God's grace is sufficient in the times when we're living without the thing that we cannot live without. <clears throat> God's grace is sufficient for us. But is it though? Is the grace of God sufficient for us? I know that we all know what it is like to live without something that we can't live without. And at times we find ourselves like Paul, tormented, or in some kind of deprivation. 
where we do not have the thing that we need. I got this really tragic tale of suffering that I want to tell you about this morning where I didn't have the thing that I could not live without. So uh, I mentioned Amy and I had traveled to Utah. We had booked some Airbnbs to stay at so that we could go hiking in these various places. And one of the places that I I booked was this little uh, tiny house. And in the advertising, that they, they said it was a kitchen that had everything that you needed. That, you know, and by when I'm thinking about a kitchen that has everything that you need, it would include a stove and an oven, a coffee maker and all of those kinds of things. Well, we show up, there's no stove, there's no oven, there's a hot plate and then there's a Keurig. And I don't know about you, but I'm just not interested in drinking Keurig coffee if I'm on vacation in Utah, right? So we go to the store and we buy a bag of coffee and uh, because, or we had already bought coffee, thinking that they would have a coffee maker, and then um, they didn't have a coffee maker. So I'm trying to figure out how the heck am I going to make coffee? Because we need coffee, and that is something that we cannot live without. So I want to show you this picture of my genius, real man of genius here. So, so, so there's. This is a lettuce, this is a, you know what this is here. I took paper towels and I put the coffee grounds on top of my paper towels. I boiled water in a pot on the hot plate, took 12 minutes to boil, and then I, (laughs) and then I just put it into a bowl and then I poured the bowl of coffee into our mug. So that's, you know, real man of genius, right? Oh man, that's the grace of God in action right there, y'all. It was decent. The coffee was decent. I mean, yeah, it was good. It was better than a Keurig. Okay, so here is the beautiful reality about the grace of God meeting us in our weakness. The beautiful reality is that the strength that we actually need comes into us when we embrace weakness. Now that's a little bit different than kind of your average human being on planet earth. Like millions of books have been written about how to manage away from your weaknesses, how to get rid of the things in your life that are causing you trouble. You know, and it, it's a little bit of a, a two-edged sword because, you know, there really are things that you can do in your life to improve your life. And I think that those things are worth doing. But then there's those things where we really can't control the situation at all. Well, what do you do then? The only means that we have from the Bible is to embrace our weakness. And we actually gain strength. We gain strength so that we can do things. So when Paul is talking about uh, God's grace working in him, in his weakness, he's not putting that out there as an invitation to live a life of resignation. He's not putting it out there so that we can live a life of just kind of sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything with our lives. He's actually giving us a path forward to live successful lives, 
lives that are full of hope, lives that are full of grace, while the weakness is happening in our lives. Okay? Is that making sense so far? So embracing your weakness doesn't lead us to doing nothing. It empowers us to live, to do something. See, I know you know this. It's obvious, but I'm going to say it again. Christians are human beings who are full of hope. We are, it's kind of one of the things that sets us apart from other human beings is that we have hope that is eternal, that is living, dwelling on the inside of us. And that's so important to know because hope leads us to live like the future fullness of God's kingdom is a reality now. All right? Now, the reason why that's important is because I mean, Chris was praying over us in the volunteers meeting, and I think, I think he mentioned it. He mentioned that the world is kind of just like pregnant with rage right now. Like there's issues, there's, there's topics, there's, there's these hard things that are going on in the world. And those really difficult things, they either lead people into like rage and action, or it can lead you into hopelessness. And those are the things that we actually have to be careful of because God calls his people to express his power in their hope. You know, Paul says this. He says, you only hope for something that you do not have yet. You don't hope for things that you don't have. You hope for the things that you don't have. You know that scripture in Romans 1 where Paul's describing the whole creation? And he's saying like, listen, the creation is groaning for everything to be made right. That is true of you and I. That isn't true, true of the whole world. We are living in the tension between the kingdom of God that Jesus is calling us into, the now of that kingdom, and the not yet of the fullness of that kingdom. So when we're living between the now and the not yet, it is really easy to fall into hopelessness when the weakness that you feel in your body and the world tries to overtake you. Yeah, I mean, weakness is coming at us from every side. It's coming from within us and it's coming from without us. And a lot of times, if we're not careful, we can descend into hopelessness. But Christians are human beings who are carriers of hope. That's who we are. And how we access the power of that hope is we embrace with grace the reality of the situation that we're in. You own the situation that you're in. You don't Look at it through rose-colored glasses. You don't say things are not hard when they are hard. You say, man, this is really difficult. This is the hardest thing I've walked through. I don't really know what to do with this. But guess what? The Holy Spirit does. And it's in our embracing of the reality that we have access to God's grace. Hope leads us to live like the future fullness of God's kingdom is a reality now. When my daughter Elliot was eight years old, 
she really wanted a pet bunny. You were eight, right? Yeah. She said, Dad, can I have a pet bunny? And like a good parent, but a terrible human being, I said, absolutely not. We are not doing pets at our house. I mean, the squires are not animal people. I mean, I've broken my kids' hearts for, I mean, we've tried dogs, we've tried cats. You know, it's just like, it's always one disaster after another. But you know, so we were in this moment where we had just been like tired of pets and Elliot asked me for a rabbit. I'm like, no way, we're not doing that. But there was this old mangy jackrabbit that was living in our backyard at the time. We would catch it out the back sliding glass door occasionally. I mean, he was ugly. I mean, he was mangy. He had fleas. He had, I mean, his fur was falling out. Like, he was gross. But I had this idea. I was like, well, you can't have a rabbit, Elliot. You can't have a pet bunny. But if you can catch that wild hare, you can keep it. Knowing full well there was no chance in heck that this little eight-year-old girl would be able to catch that wise old jackrabbit. So the next morning, I come downstairs to grab a cup of coffee. And next thing I hear, Dad, Dad, I caught it. I caught it. I caught it. And she comes walking in the back with this stringy, flailing jackrabbit in her arms. I can keep it. I can keep it. Elliot had a hope for a future that she brought into the now. (laughs) But do you know what happens when you become a person who is unafraid of weakness? You're unafraid of insults. You're unafraid of hardships. You're unafraid of persecution. You become unafraid of difficulties. You know what happens to you when you start delighting in those things rather than be afraid of those things? I heard Graham Cook say this one time. He's like, you know, those things, those hardships and difficulties for Christians, those are actually meant to refresh us. That's a different way of looking at difficulties, isn't it? Like, that's a whole new mindset, isn't it? Wow, I have problems. This is amazing, Lord. Thank you. Wow, here's a mystery that I don't know what to do with. Rather than feeling defeated and hopeless and beat down, that's like a time of refreshing. For a Christian, that's like a time of renewal. Every time you come into a point of contact with weakness, it's actually God, his manner, his method of getting his grace to you. You can't live apart from the grace of God. Isn't it great that like the feature, the main feature of the entire world, which is entropy, like things are breaking down and everybody's wringing their hands over how terrible everything is, is God's way of thwarting the devil's plan. Like the thing that the devil meant to take you out is the very conduit that God is using to get his grace to you in your life. That, that, like, if we got a hold of that, that could start a renewal that would never end. Because trouble never ends. Every time trouble happens, it's just like a grace renewal in your life. You don't have to wait for the next ebb of revival to come into your life because you have trouble this week. And that's God getting his grace to you. That's fantastic news. But, but the wonderful thing about becoming a person 
who is not afraid but delights in any of those things is that you become a person who is undaunted. You become a person who is undaunted and nothing scares you. And when nothing scares you, you are really then free to operate in grace. Do you know why people refuse to operate in grace? It's because they don't know how. Because they're used to operating in other things like fear and anxiety. A lot of times when troubles come to us, we uh, our default mode is to, um, is to freak out, is to freak out. And Paul's given us another path to not freak out, but to delight in those things. And we become undaunted and we're able to fully operate in grace. And when you become a graceful person, a person who is full of God's grace, you suddenly become the most powerful person in the room. I heard a prayer a couple years ago that really shocked me. I heard a man pray a prayer asking God to make him, in every room that he walked into, make him a non-anxious presence. Make him a non, I thought, ooh, that's brilliant. That's genius. Lord, make me a non-anxious present. Actually, when I walk into rooms, I want to be the one who, the anxious people, when they get near, they stop being anxious. You know, there's like all kinds of like scientific studies about the way uh, a person with high anxiety can walk into a room and not say any words and like the temperature of the room goes down, like the emotional temperature of the room goes down. Like that stuff is real. So as Christians who are carriers of hope and grace, it should be our prayer that the grace of God would be operating on us all the time because it actually has real life effects on the rooms that we walk into. When we are weak, then we are strong. And this is God's method of dispensing grace. God expresses his power. God expresses his power through people of grace. You know, when we, when we hear that word power, we think of like big muscles, swords, men on horses, tanks, bombs, like power, power has kind of like a coercive thing associated with it. It's like, like sometimes we imagine that God will work in the world like this. Okay, God, there's all of these messed up people over here in this city. Would you just like come in like a freight train and overwhelm everybody with your power? Just, just go ahead and take care of all of our problems with the one single bullet of your power, God. God hardly ever works that way. He's always working through the grace in operation in your life. Grace is the outworking of God's love. And the only way that this love is actually distributed is in our weakness, in and through our weakness, our embracing of our weakness. It can't come through control. Grace cannot come through control. God's grace cannot come through coercion. God's grace cannot come through manipulation. 
God's grace cannot come through hype. So knowing that, we can trust God when he tells us that his grace is sufficient. There, there really is an access point that we can, we can hold, we can lay hold of God's grace in our lives just by simply believing him when he says it to us that his grace is sufficient. You know, I didn't compare notes with Savannah before she led worship this morning, but when she started singing out, God's grace is sufficient for me, I was just like, wow, that's really great. I love when the Holy Spirit orchestrates those kinds of things, but this might be what the Spirit is saying to us in this time. It's a path forward for us. It's a sustainable path forward for us because there's a never-ending supply of God's grace in our lives. And, and really, I mean, kind of the, the comical truth of this all is that we will have so many moments and seasons of weakness throughout the course of our lives that if you don't embrace your weakness as a gift from God, then you run the danger of living your life in perpetual frustration. That's really the, that's really the truth. I, I was preaching in New York City at a conference this past uh, week, and it's a bunch of people from denominations that I have no affiliation with. But this one guy gets up and he says, he says, you know what? Here's the truth. 90% of life is negative. And I just thought to myself, oh, wow, these are my people. Like, like. Finally, somebody is saying that from the pulpit. Like that is a, that I can get behind that. Yes, it's so true. So much of what we actually are enduring in life isn't easy. But I think that where we actually go amiss is that we're working on the project of trying to make life easier all the time. And it's like, that's the most foolish fool's errand that I think that there is. And I think that, There's something dynamic, something beautiful, something, I don't know, passionate even. When when we decide to not control the world, but to take it as it comes and to boldly proclaim the grace of God in the middle of all of that without trying to overpower and coerce people to, to like have the grace of God in operation in our own bodies so that when we walk into rooms and people just are trembling under the burdens of their own trouble and they get next to you and they, they, they can feel the glory of God on you in a way that's like transferring to them. Like, I don't know. You don't have to be good at math to understand the grace of God. Like this stuff gets, it gets, it's, it leaks out of you when you go places You can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You can encourage people with with encouragement that they've never imagined being spoken over their lives before. I mean, so many people just need to be prayed for because they've never received prayer in their lives. And I I think that we actually don't see that we are ministers of the gospel walking in the world because 
we discount ourselves or disqualify ourselves based on the way we've assessed what we're good or not good at. Like, oh, I'm not a fantastic preacher. I don't know the Bible. I don't, who cares? I barely know the Bible. It doesn't matter. The grace of God in operation in your life is enough. It's enough to change somebody's life. We don't have to live our lives in in perpetual frustration. Frustration is not our inheritance. God said it to Paul and he's saying it to us. My grace really is sufficient for you. And you know, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting conversation because I think that there are people who, I mean, there are all kinds of troubles, right? There are troubles that we have no control over that come at us. There's things that we're walking through in our own lives that are, you can maybe describe them as consequences of bad choices that we've made. There's all versions of, of difficulties that come at us. I think one of the most dangerous things that we do as Christians is we read a verse like that, my grace is sufficient for you, but we'll only apply it to like, I don't know, like one certain category of trouble in our life. Like God's grace is sufficient for this version of trouble, but it's not it's not sufficient for this version of trouble over here in my life. Like maybe you've been, maybe you've made some bad financial decisions in your life and you've, and you've been crippled under a, a heavy load of debt and you feel like, man, there's no way I can get out of this. I feel so hopeless. I feel so, I, like there's no future. I have no future. Like that really is you living under kind of the the difficulties of some bad choices that you've made. I want to tell you this. God's grace is sufficient for you in that. It absolutely is. I mean, he might not answer all your prayers right away, but God can help you get out of that place. There's wisdom for it. God's speaking to us and he's helping us and he's giving us ways and means to get ourselves out of hard situations. I'll tell you this. I know I've said this to you before, but in 2003, I made a bunch of really bad financial decisions and I went bankrupt and I went through like a a year's worth of like depression, anxiety, all kinds of really like low life stuff. But I'll tell you this. The the grace of God was the anchor in my life. And I discovered his love in ways that I had never known previous to that moment. That's one of the most beautiful things about those darkest hours of our lives is that we have access to the love of God in ways that we can never discover except that we're walking through those really, really impossible moments. And it's not that we go looking for those impossible moments you know, we try to avoid them as, as much as we can. But there are, there are things that come to us that we have no answers for. All we have are questions. And nevertheless, the power of God working through his grace is enough for us. Isn't that good news? So y'all, 
Listen, our heart and the leadership of this church is that we don't want you guys to be zealots on a Sunday morning. We don't want us to be like jumping up and down every Sunday. I mean, that's great if the Lord does that, but what we really want to do is we want to be followers of Jesus for the next 50 years of our lives. That's what we want to do. I want, I want to be in that pew with my great-grandchildren someday. And hopefully they'll be jumping up and down and I'll have my cane and I'll just amen what they're doing. But, but the point is that the grace of God is the thing that is going to take us that whole way. It's going to take us that whole way. I, let, let me, I, I know I'm, I'm running late. I didn't start till 1240, so I'm not that late. But, but guys, please, in this political moment that we're in, it's really hard. I want to ask you, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Trust the Lord. And when you feel like you want to lash out at people because their, their uh, perspective is, it makes you feel ill, I want to ask you as a, as a point of discipleship and following Jesus, I want to ask you to love your enemies. Dallas Willard says this, that the only legitimate litmus for a disciple of Christ is not how loud you sing in worship. It is how well you love your enemies. Boy, that, that, that shocked me when I heard that. I mean, I think sometimes we just think Jesus is being poetic when he says that thing. But that is how the grace of God in you makes its way to a person who doesn't understand the grace of God. Is when you decide to restrain your political opinion and you get low and you serve and you wash the feet of somebody that you totally disagree with. I mean, that's, actually, that's an actual practical spiritual, spirituality forward for us, y'all. And, and the thing is, we can do that for 50 years. We can do that for 75 years or 100 years. The grace of God is eternal. Political movements come and go, but the grace of God is eternal. It's everlasting and it is for the very worst of times. Man, I heard John Mulaney, that comedian, say this. I thought this was hilarious. He was like, Charles Dickens said it. It's the best of times. It's the worst of times, which is really just a way of saying that everything is average all of the time. I thought, man, that's so good. That's a great perspective. Like, yeah, I mean, we, we're looking at this moment and we can just feel just how difficult it is. But I've just been asking the Lord, Lord, how can we have a sustainable path forward? And the Lord is saying... You be a servant to all and you give grace to all. Yeah, but what if they're jerks? You be a servant to all. You be grace. You have grace for all. Yeah, but what if their life isn't pleasing to God? You be a servant to all and you give grace to all. Yeah, but they need to be held accountable. Let God do that. Let God do that. If at some point you have built enough relational trust to speak into somebody's life a little bit of wisdom, then, then let the spirit lead you there. But until that point comes, don't assume that you have more authority to speak a, a, a righteous word before you have washed feet, before you have served, and before you have poured out grace. Let grace lead you over and over and over. I get up every morning. Oh, Lord, I have no more strength to be in the ministry. Oh, let my grace lead you. 
serve. You can do that. Lord, I have no more energy to be spectacular. It's okay. My, My grace is sufficient. I don't have any more words to use. I don't have any more ears to hear any more words. It's okay. My grace is sufficient for you. This is true for all of us in our daily lives, y'all. Have I beat this dead horse yet? Or are you with me? This is a good sermon, right? You guys, you guys have a path forward, right? This is real, y'all. We're not, we're not up here just like saying spiritual words so that we can feel good about what we did on Sunday morning. We actually have a vision for all of our lives out in our actual lives that the Lord is walking with us and he has ways and means for us to do that successfully. Amen. Let's stand up and pray and then we'll go eat lunch with mom. How about that? Do we have ministry teams today? Let's do it. Let's do some ministry teams. We'll get our prayer team up here. And if you would like to have more prayer today, don't be shy. We would love to pray for you. Um, but I'll go ahead and, and just as a benediction, pray over us that the grace of God in whatever place of weakness you find yourself in right now, that you would find that it was sufficient for you. Mm. Lord, we love you so much and we like you too. And we like that you have a word for us that is clear and it lights our paths. And when we don't know what to do, you speak something to us that shows us how to be alive in you, Lord. And I know there's folks in here that are in varying degrees of weakness, and maybe there's are some tinges of hopelessness on folks. Lord, I pray that by the power of your spirit right now, that hopelessness would be thwarted. That hopelessness would be thwarted by your grace right now. And I pray for any person in here who has felt like they've had to jump through spiritual hoops in order to be pleasing to you, God. We just break that off of people in the name of Jesus. And we declare over each person that God's grace is sufficient for you. God's grace is is doing a work in you and he is faithful to complete it. And Lord, I pray for each person who finds themselves in dire need right now, that this week you would speak a word of encouragement to them. Maybe it's by your voice. Maybe it's through another person, but our ears are open and we're, wait, we're waiting to hear from you. We're waiting to hear you speak to us, Lord Jesus. That word that can penetrate our hearts in a way that could give us life. And one last thing, Lord, I ask you to help us this week to be aware of your grace that wants to operate in us and out of us into other people's lives. Lord, we ask this in your mighty matchless name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Those of y'all who want prayer, come on up. Don't be shy. The rest of y'all have a great Mother's Day. Call your mom if she lives somewhere else. We'll see y'all next week been listening to the queen city church sermon of the week for more information on this message and other resources visit queencity.church